Do not confuse familiar with acceptable. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Hello, my dear shit shows. For any new listeners, I just wanted to let you know that that little E that shows up either next to the podcast title or maybe above the podcast title, like the little E that's in a box. So that E stands for explicit, which means we use profanity here. (laughs) Okay. So I just got my favorite negative review ever. Uh, Listen to this goodie. It says, good foundation, but I found the rough language hindering and distracting. The rating said E, which means for everyone. (laughs) Yet rough language constantly peppered the show. So Rufus the pig, anyone else out there, please note that that little E does not mean for everyone. That little E means explicit. Okay. Just wanted to, to let everybody know you've been warned. Uh, we like to say fuck around here. So today, guys, marks 14 years of sobriety for me. And in 17 years since I've stuck poop in a closet, uh, I shared that story in another episode. But yes, 14 years sober. I got sober on September 13th, 2008. I remember thinking that when I had 10 years, I was going to be old as shit. And now I have 14 years and I guess I'm really, really, really old. So, so grateful. So grateful. There has been plenty of times where I have not wanted to feel you know, that I've wanted to check out. Um, But I've never really seriously considered drinking because I know that it would suck. I'm somebody where you use the expression, you hear the expression that drinking's fun, then it's fun with problems, and then it's just problems. And for me, it became problems really, really quickly. Quick, quickly, quick. Um, And... I didn't have 10, 20, 30 years of drinking where it was fun and it was not a problem. So it says in the AA Big Book, it talks about how the great obsession of every alcoholic is that one day they can, you know, control and enjoy their drinking. And luckily for me, I don't have to struggle with that fantasy because it really got bad and not fun rather quickly. So grateful that I was such a mess, hot mess (laughs) from the get-go. And if you have not heard about my drinking or the story of my shit showiness, the hot mess express that I once was, go listen to episode four, which is all about my drinking. Um, If you're new here, just know. So like the first 10 or so episodes of the pod are where I really share my story And I highly recommend that you go at least listen to those beginning episodes because I think you'll feel a little bit more in the know and you'll get to know me a little bit better or you get to know everything about me because let's be honest, I don't hold anything back, which is why I'm meant to do this damn podcast. 
So today we are diving deep with returning guest, friend of the pod, fellow shit show, Tiffany Carter. And I had her on an earlier episode. I'll put uh, the link to that one in the show notes where you get to hear her whole backstory. But today I brought her on to discuss friendship. In particular, she had a recent experience with a friend or a friendship breakup where she came to the realization that she was recreating the relationship dynamics with her mother in this in this friendship. And it was a very painful experience, but a very rewarding and uh, huge growth opportunity for Tiffany. And so I think that this is something that a lot of people can relate to and that a lot of people will benefit from hearing the story. So one of the common characteristics of an adult child that Janet Wotitz discusses in her book, Adult Children of Alcoholics, we are extremely loyal, even in the face of evidence that loyalty is undeserved. So this makes it very difficult for us to walk away from relationships of of any kind. And so she says, since making a friend or developing a relationship is so difficult and complicated, once the effort has been made, it is permanent. If someone cares enough about you to be your friend, your lover, or your spouse, then you have an obligation to stay with them forever. If they have discovered who you are and not rejected you, That fact in and of itself is enough to make you sustain the relationship. The fact that they may treat you poorly does not matter. Somehow, no matter what they do or say, you can figure out a way to excuse their behavior and find yourself at fault. There's also a lot of safety in an established relationship. It is known. And the known is always more secure than the unknown. Change being extremely difficult, you would much prefer to stay with what is. So I've shared throughout the podcast about my history with friendships, but I wanted to kind of summarize that, give you some feelings. I was thinking about it and preparing for this episode. So the first real significant friendship experience of note was when I was in the first grade and I had this friend, let's call her Bethany. And every day I walked into Mrs. Hayes' class and I didn't know if today was going to be a day where Bethany wanted to be my friend or where Bethany was going to be so mean to me that I would get into the car at the end of the day and sob to my mom. I mean, we would even have play dates. Like we would have a play date after school and have the best of time. And then the next day she would just like treat me like shit. And I would just get in the car and sob. And I remember my mom used to call her mom and like, I don't know what she was trying to tell her to not be mean to me. I was discussing this with Tiffany and I've discussed it with other people. Is that normal behavior to where a six-year-old would just accept that? Like, who cares that you treated me like shit yesterday? Or would a kid be like, hey, there's all these other kids in my class to play with. I'm not going to be your friend because you're an asshole to me (laughs) every other day. What I've realized is that that was what had been modeled to me in the sense of the relationship with my mother. So my mom was never cruel to me, but she would become unavailable to me when she was drinking. You know, she was the best mom in the whole wide world. And then she would drink and that was no longer available to me. She would abandon me, learned to accept that as normal. And Janet actually touches upon this as well in Adult Children of Alcoholics. She says, 
Adult children carry with them the experience of come close, go away, the inconsistency of a loving parent-child relationship. They feel loved one day and rejected the next. The fear of being abandoned is a terrible fear they grow up with, not knowing what it is to have a consistent day-to-day healthy, intimate relationship with another person makes building one very painful and complicated. And so I always had friends. I was never like the most popular girl. I was like on the cusp. I actually remember this in the fourth grade. This sounds so pathetic, but there was like three popular girls in my class. And I used to get so excited when one of them was like out sick or on vacation or when one of them didn't come to school because then I was the backup. <laughs> I was I was the second string and I got to fill in for when one of them was, was out of school. So I was like super pumped when so-and-so got the flu. <laughs> um, and then everything really changed for me in the seventh grade. And so that was when I became the school slut. And I essentially lost all of my friends overnight. Well, I had already lost my, my, one of my best friends a few months prior. So at the very beginning of the seventh grade, my mom caught me and my friend drinking and we weren't allowed to be friends anymore. And then shortly after that was when my, my other friend, like my other closest friend, we went to a party. We gave blowjobs to these two ninth grade boys. You can hear all about that in my third episode. And I came back to school and the whole school knew about it. And I became the girl that one, no one wanted to be friends with. And two, nobody was allowed to be my friend because parents didn't want their kids hanging out with the school slut. And so that's when shame really became my identity. And that's when I started drinking more. And that's when I started smoking pot. And that is when I started to, as John Bradshaw discusses in his book, Healing the Shame That Binds You, that is when I started to shamefully act out, right? I leaned into my shame and I acted in ways that just produced more shame. And being the girl that no one was allowed to be friends with, became my identity. And I just recreated this, whether it was me not even giving you a chance to get to know me. So I'll just act like I'm completely uninterested in being your friend because then you won't have the opportunity to decide that you won't like me. Or I will just act like a complete fucking shit show (laughs) when I'm drinking. And then you really won't want to be my friend. And so when I got sober at 19, it had been years since I had had a female friendship last more than a month or so. And one of my biggest fears was, what if alcohol is not the problem? And what if I just suck to to be around? What if I'm just one of those people that people don't like? That turned out to not be the case. And through sobriety... I learned how to be a friend and I was gifted such beautiful friendships and I learned that I was somebody that people wanted to be friends with. But it was a struggle. You know, I remember in early sobriety, maybe not even early, like the first several years of my sobriety, anytime I would go out of town, I was convinced that my friends were going to decide 
while I was away (laughs) that they didn't like me anymore. So I would need to like constantly call and text them to get confirmation. I mean, it's the same way with, with dating, right? If I don't hear from the guy that I'm dating for like however long, I'm convinced that he's decided that he doesn't like me anymore. And so that stuff would show up in friendships. Thankfully, that went away. That fear did go away. But then as my adult child disease continued to progress, so each new relationship, I became a difficult friend. I became a difficult person to be friends with because what I didn't know was that I would enter a trauma response anytime I entered a relationship and I became really needy, a really, really needy friend. And they just saw me continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. I felt so much shame about that. And I've shared a ton about that. I was knowingly staying in these unhealthy relationships where people did not treat me the way that I deserved to be treated. And these relationships that made me a fucking crazy person. And I felt so much shame that I couldn't just walk away. But I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on with me. And I didn't realize that I couldn't really walk away because I was in the midst of a trauma response. I felt judged by some friends. And I, I understand. They're not, I don't, I don't blame them for that because I didn't understand what was going on with me and they didn't understand that what was going on with me. I was actually just recently discussing this with uh, my best friend, Jessica. And she said to me, you know, I feel guilty. I feel like I should have said things differently or I should have handled things in a different way. And I said, I don't blame you at all. Like we didn't know what was going on with me. You know, we didn't realize that I was an adult child. But as my disease, my adult child syndrome continued to progress, I started to have friends drop off. And I remember this very distinct moment of being in my car and something had just happened with a friend, um, a friend breakup or they stopped responding to me or something. And this was before I really knew what was going on with me. And I remember having this moment where I was like, holy shit, I'm becoming that girl again. I am becoming that girl that no one wants to be friends with. And that was so scary for me. And that's what I thought. Holy shit. I'm that girl. I'm just that girl inherently that no one wants to be friends with. But that's not the case. And I am somebody that people want to be friends with. And I know that I'm a really good friend. And through recovery, I've been able to repair certain friendships. I've been able to build new friendships. And I have some amazing friends in my life. And I feel so incredibly grateful for that. You know, especially as an only child, my friends are so, so important to me. Now, I've also had some friendships end since I've been in adult child recovery. And so my MO, and this is something that Tiffany and I discuss, is that whenever there is an issue within a friendship, I automatically assume, given my track record, that it has to be me, right? Because in the past, I was always the common denominator, So my default, whenever a rift happens in a friendship or somebody pulls away, is to automatically go to, it's my fault. And so I've had three notable friendships end over the past few years. And so the first one was this girl that I knew from the program. We hadn't spent a lot of time together. 
And so then during the pandemic, I spent several months at my parents' house in Tahoe because they were in Florida at the time. So I spent several months up there and she, this girl came up there and was spending a lot of time with me there. And we really just clicked and I connected with her as a friend in a way that I hadn't really in a long time. It just felt so good and fulfilling to have a friend that I really felt I connected with and somebody that really made me laugh. And then she essentially just like ghosted me. And it was really, really painful. I didn't think that I had done something, but that's where my head goes. Like clearly she realized that I suck. She finally got to see me for who I am or whatever. And she realizes that she actually doesn't like me. And that's not the case. That's not the case. You know, I know now that that's not the case and it's her stuff and has absolutely nothing to do with me. She actually texted me uh, within the last year and basically said, Hey, I've been meaning to give you a call. Um, I was just talking to my sponsor about you. I owe you an amends. When's a good time for me to call? And I wrote back and told her the time that worked the next day. She was like, okay, I'll call you then. And so then it was right when she was supposed to call me. She sent me a text like, hey, something actually came up. I'm not going to be able to call, but let's connect soon. And I just didn't even respond. And I never heard from her ever again. So yeah, not my chicken. (laughs) Uh, And then there's two other friendships that dissolved. I'll tell those stories another episode. But it was very clear that it was not my chicken, right? Again, my MO is to blame myself, but I discussed it with my therapist and other people that are in recovery with me. And it's very clear that my side of the street is clean and that, you know, these people are just going through their own shit and has nothing to do with me. And so I'm not going to unnecessarily take blame for something because that's what we love to do. That's what we adult children love to do. It is always our fault. Yes, we always have a part in something, but we're not always to blame or the one that is in the wrong. So let's move it along to the episode. But first, damn the join Patreon. This is where I host three weekly Zoom support groups. This is the place where all the cool shit shows hang out and heal. So patreon.com slash adult child. Do it now. Please give me a little follow on the TikTok, on the Instagram at adult child pod. Please give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. Can you help me make up for this for this bad review where this person thought that E stands for, for everyone and not explicit? So can you help me out and, and let's make up for that bad review with a bunch more five-star reviews only? Lastly, I just want to give a plug again for Integrative Life Center, which is sponsoring the pod. We had Carmen Dominguez on a couple weeks ago. Integrative Life Center is a group of treatment centers in Mississippi, Tennessee, and Colorado. They treat various mental illness, addiction, and intimacy disorders with a real focus on looking at addressing the core underlying trauma. Uh, They have a, a fabulous reputation. I was very particular about if I were to have a treatment center on, I want it to be top-notch, high quality, and Integrative Life Center is that. So go check out the show notes for a link to their website as well as an email address and their phone number. Thanks. 
Okay, guys. Returning guest, friend of the pod, Tiffany Carter. Why don't you have a nickname by now? I really should. Why don't I have a nickname? I don't know, but we can't force it. We can't. It'll just come. Yeah, we just have been talking for like a long time about random shit and um, <laughs> Tiffany was interviewing Kiki. If you want, if you want to see it, well, it'll be a special addition <laughs> to the Patreon. So you have to be a member. It's members only content. <laughs> it's slightly X-rated. So, Keekers, what is your favorite skin soothing? Hello, excuse me. Are you eating your own ass during the interview? Black talk, this is not. So we're going to talk about friends. Okay, so this is what I want to ask. So you talked, I remember you talking some about friends when you were on before, but what do you, what is your like first memory what is like your first significant memory of friendship, like as a child? The first memory is not of a friendship I had. It was what I observed in my mom. And for people who aren't familiar with my story, you can go and listen to another episode that I was on on this show. But my mom is a narcissist and she's not a substance ad- addict, but she is relationship addict, love addict, workaholic, um, anorexic. So she's got a lot of isms and is also mentally ill. I watched my mom have her only female friends were people who were on payroll. So I saw her have people who were on payroll and they all were less fortunate than her. I guess that's like the nice way to say it. (laughs) Um, but I don't just mean like monetarily for sure. They were all less wealthy than her. That was for sure. But they were all, they were the, they were the codependent, right? Mm -hmm. She's the narcissist. They were the codependent. So that's, that's, and to this day, anyone who is a friend of hers is on payroll. There is no one who's not on payroll in the picture. So I always thought that was weird because my mom was an entrepreneur. So was my dad and they're my they're, they weren't married. They were divorced when I was in four. And my dad, his employees were true employees. And my dad's friends were not on payroll. I think having your friends be only your employee is a way to avoid being abandoned because they need you. Yep. And they were all dependent on her in multiple areas. Like, And which is typical for, you know, those of you guys who have ever dealt with narcissists, right? They make it so you believe you need them. Like you almost can't survive without them. And I saw that as a kid and she would have, and there weren't a lot of friends. There would be the chosen friend at the time. So someone would be the chosen, like the the chosen child, right? The favorite. And then there'd be the triangulation, right? So then the others who weren't the favorite knew that they weren't and were vying to get back in the favorite spot. And I remember this as young as five years old, thinking it was really weird because I knew in school and my friends I had, I didn't pay them. So I, <laughs> I, so I did think it was really weird. Um, and that's where I got. That's what I picked up and witnessed really early on. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it is it's like the narcissism, but then at the same time, it's the trying to avoid abandonment. But then I think it's also too, it's deep down the belief that's like this is what I would think with your mom, that someone's not gonna want to be my friend unless I have something to offer them. That like of myself, I'm not enough. Why would somebody just want to be my friend just to be my friend? A thousand percent. And that is something I picked up. And I, I was the person where if you invited me over, even if we were like knew we were coworkers or we knew each other for years and we'd been at each other's houses, every time I'd show up at your house, I'd have a gift. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just like that polite thing you do when someone like gets a new house or it's their birthday. Like I would have to bestow a gift and I would stress out and make sure I had it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was enough. And then any favor, I attracted a lot of people who wanted a lot of favors from me as like the classic people pleaser. So I was, I got off on being the go-to Tiff, can you rewrite my resume? You know, Tiff, can you help me move to, you know, and I was, I was like, well, they need me. And I, I got off on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when you were growing up, I mean, I know that things were weird, (laughs) to put it lightly. Um, but do you feel like you had any like real friends from like middle school through high school? That's a great question. Um, I, this is going to sound weird, but probably not to this fucking audience. My most real friend who seemed real to me was the primary sexual abuser. That's who I truly felt, even in high school, that's who I truly felt and believed was my real friend. Mm -hmm. And then what was your experience with friends when you kind of, I mean, I know that you were flying back to Chicago often, but when you went off to college, what was that experience like of going to a new environment where you didn't know anybody and, and meeting people? Yeah, whenever I like when I went to college in Boston or moved around as a newscaster, how I met people was through the gym, of course, as an exercise addict. So, you know, if you're an alcoholic, you meet people at a bar, right? I met people at the gym. So I found other people who were, you know, working out incessant amounts like me. And then we had that common bond you know, that common addiction that we didn't know was an addiction. Um, so I did never had a, I never had a hard time meeting people like my first year in college in the dorms. Like I always had like a handful of like truly close friends who I was open and vulnerable with. The common theme was I was always the one who was more exposed and vulnerable and they were more distant. They were more avoidant. Mm-hmm. So I never felt like I was fully getting my needs met, right? I was getting, like you say, I was getting the crumbs, right? I wasn't getting the whole loaf from somebody and I, and I really wanted it and I would vie for it, right? I would, you know, un- like not consciously, but I would vie for it, right? I would make sure I was the best friend possible, the best roommate possible, you know, the best whatever possible, the most entertaining, the most fun you know, all the people pleasing things. Cause I, I wanted something from them and I never could get it. And what I wanted was that like intimacy, vulnerability exchange, but they were always like, they always had like a screen door up, 
you know, maybe not like a full brick wall, but there was always a layer that I couldn't access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you read about like um, anxious attachment style, which I think is interesting is it talks about how we deeply desire intimacy, but that deep down inside, we're so fucking scared of it. So that's why we pick people like that. And it's kind of hard for me to connect with that because I don't know, like, I feel like I truly did want intimacy, you know, naturally, but I guess it's valid. Yeah. I feel that I really wanted it too, but I think it was, there's some part of me that obviously was afraid of it or why was I picking people over and over and over again, subconsciously who, who didn't go there. In fact, I, this happens up to this day, you know, it's something I'm currently actively still working on because it's just a it's it's a natural thing for me just like it shows up in romantic relationships with a broken picker I clearly have a broken (laughs) friend picker too Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know if it's the is it that deep down I really am scared of it or is it that I have these limiting beliefs about myself that I pick people that are reaffirming those beliefs I think that's a possibility. I could say for me, I'm recreating the abandonment from Mm -hmm. my childhood Mm -hmm. in that parental dynamic in friendships. That's, that's what I see. And I saw that very wide open. The universe, God wanted me to fucking really see that in 2022. I mean, that was, it's undeniable. Like I, sometimes we've got to see things where we're being whacked so fucking hard over and over again in the same area of our life for us to like wake up and go, okay, like this is really a problem. Holy shit. Before we dive into that experience, or maybe it would be better to do this in hindsight, but I'm just curious now in reflection, like, are you able to pinpoint certain relationships prior to this most recent one where it should have been apparent? Oh, yeah. Same thing as like romantic relationships. You know, when we look back, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? It's when I look back, because, uh, you know, you know, because you and I've done a lot of talking about it. I've talked a ton about it with, you know, Patreon group and in my, you know, in my ACA 12 step meetings. And it's like the common theme is I'm, I was accepting crumbs, mm-hmm. but wanting the full loaf, total common theme. And the other person just would not be fully vulnerable. They had secrets. Um, there was a distance. They definitely had control tactics in place. So they mimicked stuff of my mom, the females. And my male friendships are much more healthy. So I, they don't, it's not, doesn't show up the same way with male friendships, which I find really interesting. But the female friendships, the common theme is they are a version of my mother. Mm. Not all of them, but the predominant ones historically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about my relationship with my guy friends. My common theme has been the the guys end up <clears throat> liking me, but they don't like express that they do. And then the resentment builds and then something happens. And then it's like, um, it's like, a I don't know if it's, it's not hysterical, it's historical, but it'll be like a little thing that like becomes like a huge thing and they don't want to be my friend anymore. 
that's a uh, that's abandonment yeah it's really sad you know I have this one like guy friend in particular or it's happened a couple times and I feel like I thought that we had moved past it and then it it, it happened again and it makes me so sad because I miss our friendship so so very much because we really just connect like I connect with him we're just the same person and I have so much fun with him and I laugh with him but what I realized was that he would have these he would have these blow-ups at me and eventually he would just kind of come back around but he would never take ownership for it and I would just accept it because I just so desperately wanted him to be my friend. But if anybody else, had, like if a girlfriend had treated me like that, I wouldn't have accepted it. But I just so, yeah, I just, I just let it slide. But he really would treat me like shit. It's sad though. It actually is more gut wrenching for me with this stuff coming up with friends, like truly, you know, close friends than it is in even relationships for me, which is a big fucking statement to say because my inner child there's almost more of a um safety with a friend right like because of all of the you know sexual abuse in my history too when you take out that sexual component where i don't have to give you sex for to be in a relationship with you or for you to love me i have more of um, a safety a soft place to land with friends and so when shit happens with friends, it really rattles me on a whole nother level. Were you the type of person, like, I became, like, a shitty fucking friend as soon as I got into a relationship? I would say not fully shitty, but did I end up doing the typical codependent thing where I was, like, enmeshed with the guy? Mm -hmm. And then now I'm not, like, checking in as much and all that. Yeah, for sure I did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Or like, I just cancel plans with him, like at a drop of the hat. If the person wanted to spend time with me, I would lie about it. I did that too. Yeah. Because so. the drug I got, right, the drug, oxytocin, dopamine I got from the guy was that I was addicted to that. Because that's mm -hmm. my main drug of choice. That mm -hmm. was what one of the main things that got me an ACA. It was it's my addiction to people. But it's really that that ox, you know, that, that it's ox. I'm like, is it oxycotton? Oxytocin? <laughs> Same fucking thing, okay. really. And it was that, like, I, if you could bottle, I call it a freshy high. You I could know, bottle you that freshy high, man. I'd lose like 15 pounds, get those ab <laughs> lines going. <laughs> not me. I would only lose the weight when they would break up with me and I just would not eat at all. So, but didn't you, did you like the freshy high? Oh, yeah, but, like, you, I feel like you had it last a lot. Like, that would fucking, like, go away within, like, a couple weeks for me. Oh, no, my freshie high was, so it could even go a year sometimes. I know. But six I months for sure. No. Yeah, so, yeah, I did, but it fucking, it got shorter and shorter every time. Kind of like my alcoholism. Mm. Real, <laughs> it, fun, fun with problems and then just problems. Yeah, there was not much fun. It was just a lot of problems. Yeah, when you said like your guy friends like wanted more from you but you didn't know. I've I've definitely I've I've had that. I've had that. I've also done the reverse where I've dated them but we would be better friends than we would in a relationship 
and I genuinely wanted the friendship. And then they they were like, it's either we're in a we're together romantically or bye. And that felt very devastating and abandoning to me. It was like, oh, so because I don't want what you want, then then it's like it's like black and white. Then then I'm then I'm out. And then it felt like, well, then they never really gave a shit truly about me. If you're not even willing to like explore if we can be friends, like that felt terrible. Yeah. But it's not that easy for some people. I get that now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So where do we begin with Ruth? Oh my God. Wow. Wow. I mean, I would say I believe there's multiple bottoms as an ACA as well. And this would be a, can, definitely a bottom for me and an ACA bottom for me. And it had to happen. I get why it had to happen, which is part of why I know we're like sharing this with with you guys today. And it's like, this is someone who I now can see, but is a total replica of my mom. I did not see it. When I met this person, I had about four years in ACA. So this was not a pre-recovery person. And I really was conscious in picking people to have in my life. It's not like I was operating how I was before. I checked in with myself. I had a, I had a sponsor. You know, I really thought I vetted this person, you know, and that's why we can't avoid some of these lessons. And this was a toxic person, a very unhealthy person in in hiding in the perfect clothing that I would have I would have never seen. So I have forgiven myself and and you know I was beating myself up for a long time for not seeing this. You know, like how could I not see this? I'm in recovery. Da 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 da. da. Well, before that though, I mean, I think even before you were beating yourself up about not seeing it, I think that you were you were convinced that you were the issue or you weren't sure that you weren't the issue. So I think that, you know, first that's there was true. that aspect. Yeah, of that's it. true. I mean, and, and that is a common pattern for me that when, whether it's in a work environment, any environment, I overly blame myself. Like, you know how they say in 12 step, like make sure your side of the street is clean mm-hmm, and you have to mm-hmm. take accountability. I overly do that on my part because how I was raised was everything's Tiffany's fault. You know, mm-hmm. everything's my fault. Everything, everything, everything. You're a bad girl. You're a bad girl. So it must be me because I'm a bad girl. I must have done something. What did I do? Because I don't want to do anything to hurt people I love because I was, I've been hurt by people I love and it's, and it's horrible. And I would be, hor- I'm horrified when I hurt someone and I genuinely want to fix it if mm-hmm. I've done that. Mm-hmm. And so I really thought I had to have done something because why would Ruth's behavior have been that dramatic and the anger be that hot and heavy? Hadn't I at least contributed somehow and done something? And I couldn't find it and and nor really would this person even give me an answer. And I think when I overly blame myself too, it's like, well, if it's my fault, I can at least fix it. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so crazy. Right. Cause it's like, it's easier. <laughs> yeah. It's easier for us to go the route of we're the one that there's something inherently wrong with us. It's kind of, it's interesting. Cause it's kind of like, it's, it is like a victimhood, but like in a different kind of way, you know, it's like, I guess it's like being a martyr in a way. But it is like a hybrid because it's like, I'm, it must be me, but also willing to fix it, willing mm -hmm. to make amends for it, like willing to work on it genuinely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of the, it's somewhere in the middle there for sure. Yeah. I've had a lot of, I've had many experiences, I think similar to what you had in this situation where, and you can kind of get into it, but like where the person was not willing to like have, um, a healthy, genuine, open conversation about what was actually going on. I think that there was some other stuff going on where like kind of more some narcissistic traits, like with what was going on with you. I think in my experiences with it, it's been like people just are not, I don't know if it's like emotionally intelligent or just emotionally open to having kind of those difficult conversations, but I'm always... I want to, right? Like I'm the same way. Like if I've done something and I've hurt your feelings, I want to know. Like we all know that I'm rather sarcastic and I joke around a lot. It's never meant from like a mean-spirited place, but I know that sometimes I can take things too far. And if I've done that, please, you know, like let me know. But I think it's really sad when people and it is what it is, but some people just aren't in a place where they're able to have those kind of conversations or maybe the relationship isn't just as important to them as it, as it is to me to have those conversations too. I mean, that can also be part of it. Doesn't that go with the laundry list trait of we take any personal criticism as a threat? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, if it's, we're dealing with a fellow adult child, right? Even any perceived, even if it's said in the most therapeutic way in the loving way, you know, they can't, handle that they have work to do in that area i think there's some of that too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so <laughs> i'm just thinking about god yeah you were really in it i was oh i mean in it that and was i feel like i was trying to get through to you like while it was going on that like this is a really shit well i don't know i don't want to say shitty person but the way that they well, were you treating you that. yeah <laughs> The well, way it's they like were treating you was really shitty. It's no different than right if you were immersed, right, like or meshed with mm -hmm. a guy, and it right, like when we're we're in it, we're in it, we can't see it, right? If like when you're standing inside the picture frame, you can't really see the picture. But I believed you. I mean, as a trusted friend and fellow traveler, like I believed you, but I did not want to believe that this couldn't be fixed, that this wasn't worth fixing, that this person was as, you know, ill as they are because I didn't want to lose mm -hmm. this friendship because mm -hmm. I really valued this friendship. And looking back, it's like, oh my God. I mean, this is the part where, <laughs> thank God for the Patreon and join the damn Patreon, by the way, because that's safe to join. Because that saved my ass. Because not just you, but I had other fellow travelers 
in the Patreon and in my 12-step groups who reflected back to me were like, Tiffany, this is not normal, mm-hmm. you know, to where I couldn't go into my denial or maybe I'm just being sensitive or weirdo. There were too many people reflecting it back to me who I truly trusted and respected. And from the beginning, she had me only communicate with her through a third party app. <laughs> we have to laugh about it because it's well, funny. yeah, because that's what I had to tell you too. But like, like I that was weird. You didn't realize that was, that was weird. <laughs> so she only had me communicate with her through a third party app, which makes me think of David from 90 Day Fiance with the with the David and Lana, yeah. With Lana using that weird app. Yeah. So who turned out to actually be real. Which was, that was amazing. Remember when they uh, went bowling? <laughs> <laughs> and this third party app, um, I don't even remember the name of it because I've, I deleted it. Wait, one of the, one of the podcasts that I listened to that talk about, they would just call him wig. I, and I, see, I actually thought that was his hair. You're like, no, it's Wait. not. Um, so it was this third party app that's basically equivalent to like video texting and I'd never heard of it before. Um, she told me about the app. She said she uses it for work and stuff and it's great. And like, you know, kind of similar to like a WhatsApp or whatever. You have to like invite someone to it. And I was like, okay. And I go, that's interesting. Maybe I'll try it with some people who work for me or whatever. Some, some of my clients. And I did a, like a test, you know, a test video text to her. And then she sent one back and I thought it was kind of fun at first because it was funny. I was like, I've never, you know, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then when I would pick up the phone to call her, like I give good phone. Like I like talking <laughs> to my friends on the phone and I pick never would pick up the phone mm-hmm. and never would acknowledge that I called either. And so then it kind of trained me to, to not call as much and then I would text but it'd be hours before getting a response or you know those people when they respond to a text and it's like one word like k or one letter yeah and like a period k I'm like or ty like so it's like I was being taught right exactly it's a form of a fuck you don't communicate with me so I was being taught well that's not how she likes to communicate so, but then when I would do this third party app, <laughs> I'd get, I'd get a response, Yeah, which of so course I liked, weird. you know, I, I liked, I liked the response and that was how we communicated for years. I know it's so weird. And I thought that's taking, right. That's taking crumbs because that's not enough for me. I want to. You know, I want to see someone's face, you know, like in real time. I want to talk to someone in real time. Like that's a way of avoiding intimacy. When you're controlling, uh, when you talk to somebody, you know what I mean? Like if you're not talking to someone in real time about your shit, how intimate is that relationship? Mm-hmm. But you would see her in person fairly yeah, we did. frequently. Yes. Like for work stuff. Um, and have taken trips. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that mm-hmm. that's why it was confusing to me because I would have the extreme intimacy of of traveling with someone and sharing, you know, a hotel room, but then not but then have this other weird 
right? It's that wall up. It's like the screen door. I was talking about the pattern that I had of my friends all growing up, right? They were, they were there, but you couldn't really fully access them. That's my mom. My mom was there. I always had, there was always food on the table, you know, clothes, da, 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 da. My mom was always there, but she really, no one was, she wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing. She was there, but not accessible in the way that I wanted as a true, intimate, you know, friend. Yeah. And I think that there were many things at play, though, when this was happening, like with you leaving your relationship. And you know what I mean? Like, I just think it was very layered. Very, very layered. That's also why I'm able to, like, be gentle with myself and give myself grace now. Because I I just couldn't see what I couldn't see. And I was ripe for the picking, as I say. Like, this person definitely has narcissistic traits. And I was looking for family. Not consciously. Yeah. But I have one living relative. It's my mom. My friends are my family. Yeah. And I was looking for family because I was losing a key family member in my relationship. I get it. And this person was, you know, a little older than me. So it felt like older sister vibes. And when someone has those kind of narcissistic traits, you know, it's we're kind of obvious as ACAs. We didn't we might not think we are, but we're kind of we're kind of obvious. Where you kind of need to poke and what's going to work. We're, we're pretty, it's pretty obvious what we respond to. So other than like the, the, the third party app, well, we've talked about a few things, but do you, are there any other red flags that you feel like you overlooked? Yeah, it was flash, sudden anger that came out of the blue. Directed towards you? Towards me. Yeah. And when I say anger, I'm talking like raised voice, uh, Mm. ghosting, Mm. very flat flash. And it wasn't like it wasn't like something I could pinpoint and go, oh, God, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't cool of me or I forgot something important or, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, it was like anger as though I fucked her boyfriend. It was that level of hatred and anger, and it would come out of nowhere. And actually, it was, you know, Mike, my ex-fiance, who um, is a very observant, but a man of few words, who said, you know, well, don't she's she got angry at you more often than you're remembering, you know, Mm because you would call me. You know, you would call me crying. And I remember the first time it happened. And what did I do as a good little codependent? I'm so sorry, mommy. Mommy, what did I do? Oh, my God. I didn't mean to do anything to hurt you. Please, you know, please call me. Please pick up the phone. Please please pick up and talk to me. And there would be nothing. And there would be nothing. And there would be nothing. And it was like, please, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. It could go on for two weeks. Hmm. It happened once in once for sure in person was out of the blue. And I was left almost in a fetal position and it was anger. What I gathered, I still can't pinpoint it. She was angry at me saying that I've been negative for months, like just like been complaining a lot, like about like 
life and work and shit. Saying that you yourself have been negative? Me, myself, not towards her, and went off on me and was like, I'm just sick of hearing it. And like, and so I was being criticized <laughs> for me being myself open and vulnerable and yeah. open and vulnerable because being open and vulnerable sometimes looks like, you know, you're upset about certain a bunch of things in life. That's not abnormal. It wasn't like I wasn't doing anything about these things. I was going through it and venting and I was left. I mean, I'm talking shaking and she saw me crying, shaking ne- mm. and didn't apologize and stonewalled me in in phys- like in physical form, which I think is even more painful than when someone does it like remotely. Virtually. Yeah. Yeah. That's painful too. And I got I I did notice that I, you know, I went into a childlike state and I did have a strong red flag that went up because that is absolutely what my mom did and I had a strong red flag go up like this is kind of like evil like it's like the shit that we see on like Beverly Hills Housewives you know like very mean and it almost felt like and I don't even like saying this right now because it I don't want to like bash this person but it's almost like she was enjoying it Mm -hmm. like wanted to cut me down you know and I noticed the more successful I got in my podcast, in my business, the more comfortable and freeing I felt with my inner child growth, like, you know, dancing on camera, you know, and like, you know, I can be like really silly. And that's been years in the making for me to see that side of me. I didn't, I didn't used to be like that. And she fucking hated that about me, hated Mm. it. And you know who else hated that? My mom. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to be that carefree child who's silly and goofy and, you know, splashing in the pool. And my mom fucking hated that. Mm -hmm. And I felt that. I felt that same hatred. But even though that red flag and that incident was so strong, once she apologized, which was like, not a true amends. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I'm sorry you feel that way kind of apology. All was forgotten in Tiffany's world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that mm-hmm. didn't happen. Mommy's mommy's mommy loves me again. I'm trying to remember, but I don't. Um, what was kind of, I mean, I guess it was kind of like a slow burn or slow being able to open your eyes and kind of see the reality of it I don't know if there was it was it it took some extreme stuff happening extreme behavior on her end happening like shockingly extreme back to back to wake me up yeah, well, I think actually there was this one actually in particular of when you kind of reconnected with her. Yes, that was the that was the last straw. That was the yeah. final thing. And um and it was it was really only like what? Like it was only a couple of days before Literally. something happened. But the thing that I said to you was because I didn't hear about it until she kind of acted up again. And I told you that I like because you hadn't shared that she had reached back out. 
And, and so I said that to you, like, do you feel like you were, like, you knew that you were maybe doing something that you shouldn't be doing because you didn't share it. And I mean, you said that you weren't thinking about it, but I think probably subconsciously, I mean, I fucking I wasn't consciously thinking that, Yeah. but looking back, absolutely. Cause that's exactly what that's exactly what I, I did with guys too. When Me I too. would tell Me too. confide in people or even I did it with my fucking sponsor, mm-hmm. you know, confide and like and share about drama. And then I'd be like, Oh my God, like I can't tell someone that I'm going back to this. Like I, yep. there was low key. There was a part of me that knew there was some part of me that did know, but I am a fucking addict of people. My addiction brain was wanted mommy back when she but when she reached back out she like kind of did a quasi amends but it wasn't on the phone right like wasn't it still on that app no it was oh it, it was, on was the phone. it was on the phone it was on the phone um and you know when people apologize like <laughs> And it sounds really good, like it's a detailed. And then they say one sentence, like they use the but, but, and it it negates the whole fucking beautiful apology. It was that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I and I still wanted to take it. And guess what I did? Like a you know, a great ACA. I started making excuses. Well, Tiffany, you know, it's very hard for her to apologize. You know, and she even said that, you know, I don't apologize to people. You know, it's very hard for me. And you were going through the moving stuff and like really stressed out about that. I was in the worst spot I've been in years. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you were look. you know. I was in the worst spot that I've been emotionally, meaning like leaving a long-term relationship. Like, I mean, moved to a place where I didn't know anyone. Like I was really raw. And the no, last I mean thing- specifically when she reached out. That's when you were trying to. That's when you were moving into the new place, and you oh, had another meltdown. That's right. No, you're right. And I that was actually when I couldn't find a place. Like it was like panic stricken. No, I think it was when you first moved in, and you like were having everything go down. Like oh, the, really? the oh, okay. yeah, the movers weren't like all that stuff. And yeah, so then, it was a yeah. high stress point for sure. But I even if it wasn't, I truly feel. I would have made, I would have made excuses like, well, and I use program. I use literature to fill my excuses too. I'll go, well, patience, love, and tolerance. You have to, you know, this is a fellow traveler. You know, you're not perfect either. We have to have grace for people. I mean, that's how the voice sounds in my head like that. And I'm like, oh, that's true. You know, I need, so I'll even use that, which is a real mind fuck to give excuses for people. You know, I'm like, well, I would want someone to give me grace, so mm-hmm. I need to give grace. But that doesn't mean you have to take it up the ass, <laughs> like, unless you're into that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what? It like it had to happen, right? Like you needed to have that final experience. I think for because I feel like that was a real turning point where you were able to finally see, like, okay. This is not me. I mean, well, obviously you you play a part in it. I think that was the moment where you were able to um, really feel, act, believe I deserve better than this. And this is not how 
this is not the kind of friendship that I want to have. And you needed to have that final taste. And I will say, I was really proud of you because I don't think that you stayed in the place of beating yourself up for letting her bet. Like initially that was there like, Oh, I'm so stupid on, but like we have to have, it takes what it takes, you know? Yeah. No, that had to happen. That had to happen like that. God knew that that had to happen that way for me to break through my, my denial, right? Like of making excuses and whatever it became undeniable that this person is not well, mm-hmm. like truly not well. I'm not diagnosing her. I'm not saying anything like that. I don't, you know, that's not my job, but this, this is not, this is unacceptable behavior. This person is not well and is clearly not, not making a true amends or owning up to any of it and continues to do it. And I don't want this shit in my life. Well, I think that that was the more significant. Yes, that person's unwell. But I think what was more significant was you um, acting in the belief that I don't deserve to be treated like this is not what I want. Absolutely. I was like, no, I, I don't deserve this. I'm unavailable now for this kind of toxic behavior. I, I do not want this in my life. I deserve better. I know the kind of friend I am. You know, I know the kind of person I am. And I don't want anyone in my life who everyone's going to disappoint you and fuck up everybody. But someone who isn't willing to have a have a healthy conversation about it and someone who's not willing to own it and work on it. um, That's a new boundary for me. I will not have that in my life, period. Yeah, or somebody who's only willing to communicate with messages in a bottle. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Carrier <I>, pigeon. <laughs> like if, if like if you're not willing to like, you know, hit me up on the phone. Yeah. Like you can only like send text messages using edge sketches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I'm Weird. not I, I need real I need real time intimacy and vulnerability mm. from somebody. And I just des- and the other part is I deserve that. Mm-hmm. I deserve the whole fucking loaf. Like, I really deserve that because I can look at myself and say, I know an integrity. I deliver that. Mm -hmm. And I deserve it. And I don't want anything less. And in order for us to not keep attracting less, we've got to stop accepting less. Yeah, exactly. We have to stop accepting less than what we really deserve and desire. Yeah, because and then that allows the space for for the good to flow in. And the catch is you're going to have to sit in the space. I call it the dirty diaper. And it sucks. I don't like that. I don't like that term. (laughs) It sucks. It's like you're sitting in it. Now I have this space because I don't have this close person anymore. I just left a long-term relationship, although we weren't married. It's might as well have been a marriage. So I'm going through a divorce. Like, you're leaving that and I'm sitting in the loneliness, the emptiness, the space. It sucks. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many of us go back. Stay. Yeah, right? We stay. stay or go back. And so I had to sit in it. I And that's that is the addiction of, you know, of people, places and things. I had to abstain from those people who I had a, you know, some sort of an unhealthy attachment to and had to sit in it and it was not cute 
but it was necessary. So now when you think about it, that experience, when you think about her, what do you feel? I feel compassion, which is almost mind blowing that I'm even saying that because, you know, you were in it with me and, you know, people who were in the Patreon, too, at that time were in it with me. You saw it in real time and compassion, not only for me, but truly for her. You know, they say like you they say I think it's Alan on that says this, but you find compassion for the alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And um, I find compassion for like the sick person, the unhealed person, I have compassion because to reject and push away anyone who gets close to you, which is a pattern of this person, it's sad. It makes me want to cry. It is really, really sad because I see like the little girl, and obviously there's something in there that that doesn't feel safe or worthy. And I know it's not just me. I know it's a pattern. And it's really, really sad. It's also still unacceptable behavior that I will not, I don't want in my life and I won't tolerate, but I have, I have compassion. It is so fucking sad. Yeah. And more will be revealed, you know, hopefully this person can maybe hit some some sort of a bottom too and. And we don't get to pick when. I used to fantasize about that. You know, well, this person's going to hit a bottom and they're going to realize that I was the most incredible friend that they've ever had. And they're going to, you know, call me and make a beautiful amends and all mm -hmm. will be fine and go into fantasy channel about it. And it's like, yeah, that more will be revealed. Sometimes it's not in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's 10 years from now, 25 years from now. Mm -hmm. um, who knows? But I'm not like holding on waiting for it anymore. And the old me would have absolutely been like obsessed over wanting and pining mm -hmm. and yearning for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, we ended right where we started. <laughs> With ass looking. Only licking her she face. Just she, this is just her jam, man. This She's is what she her does. Face. That's what cats. I mean, I think that cats bathe like thirty percent of their day. Listen, I've day. had two cats, and I my cats did not lick ass to that level. Really? Yes, Puddins and Sydney. Put Puddins. Puddins. Yeah, she. Neither of them were ass lickers. All cats are ass lickers. Well, like yeah, there would be the like they did it, but not to this extent. <laughs> <laughs> acting like she was doing it for like an hour it was like five <laughs> minutes poor kiki well this has been lovely everyone go listen to your podcast i started listening to your episode with your coach oh with kara oh good yeah my my show isn't recovery based but you'll hear uh you'll hear a lot of those lessons in there i do a lot of um coaching and talking about like money wounds and things that we do to sabotage our success and a lot of that knowledge and wisdom comes from my recovery work so if you're into that stuff you'll like the show and I've interviewed Andrea on the show too which we talk all sorts of nonsense yes we did so and here come here she comes there she goes <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, this has been great. Thank you so much. Love you.
Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that could benefit you. And as always, I know that you did. Thanks again to Miss Tiffany for another fabulous episode of the pod. Go check her shit out. If you, uh, if you have a business, if you're an entrepreneur, I highly recommend going and checking out Tiffany's podcast. Um, see the show notes. What else? I am about to go treat myself to some damn pizza and a salad and some bread pudding. So I'm going to go, My fa- one of my favorite places here is this place called Picasso's. They have the best spinach salad. It has the best salad dressing. So I'm all about the salad dressing. So I order extra salad dressing because I like to dip my pizza in the salad dressing And then they always have a fabulous bread pudding. They change up the flavors. My favorite is they have like a chocolate strawberry one that is like bomb.com. All right, shit shows. Well, thanks for being here. How about you damn the join Patreon? And how about I will see you next week? Well, actually, I will see you on shit show Saturday. I love you guys so much. I just want you all to know how much... I love and appreciate you. I'm so grateful for your ears. So I'm going to see you next week for another fucking amazing episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super raw, super mono, super excited. If you ought to hear it, it's going to be a good day. I promise. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.